it, this is an understanding, this is the going within the self-reflection piece. And key to that is your self-belief and your self-confidence. And as you described, owning your space. It's about really understanding really well who you are, how you want to show up, and also what the value is that you bring. Welcome to the Career Success Coach Podcast. If you're an accomplished professional ready to attract ideal opportunities, level up your career growth, and create a powerful presence in your industry, you're in the right space. I'm your host, Sarah Macris, and I'm passionate about helping executives and business professionals become visible in their space, establish themselves as a leading authority, and create their dream opportunities. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the Career Success Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Macris, and today we have with us Sue Rosen. Sue is an accredited executive coach with extensive experience coaching leaders to be courageous, compassionate, and curious, supporting them to cultivate their executive presence and amplify their impact so that they feel purposeful, authentic, and fulfilled. She coaches individual leaders, both men and women, and also facilitates the CFO Women's Circle, which provides small group coaching for female finance leaders. Not only is Sue an accredited coach, she's also a fellow of the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. It's great to have Sue here today to talk to us about executive presence. Welcome, Sue. Hi, Sarah. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. It's such an interesting topic and I'm really excited to delve deep into it. Before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so Sarah, I started my career as a chartered accountant in London about 300 years ago, or what feels like it, entirely another lifetime. And I then came to, after I qualified, I came to Sydney. I worked in finance teams in commercial operations across the arts industry, arts and entertainment industry, and then in professional services in recruitment for many years, went through an IPO with a recruitment business, and then moved out subsequently into um, smaller financial services as a CFO. So many years in that corporate space of leading finance teams, working with business owners and founders on the strategy of business, but obviously more specifically with this finance focus. And then I decided to make a complete change. So I shifted. I had been thinking about doing something different for a long time. And then I had some career coaching myself and went, you know, what's next? I was looking at what's my next CFO role potentially. And as I started to explore what I wanted with my career coach, I really started to think differently. And I'd often thought I wanted to do something different and I just really didn't know what that was. And I didn't know what it looked like. And I didn't know how to go into something new without being, well, I was always going to be a beginner again. And that's a challenge. And you have, you know, financial commitments and you earn a certain salary. And so all of those commitments. But once I really experienced working with a good coach, I actually went, this is so powerful that actually this is something I'd really like to do. So I started to, you know, put my toe in the water with some training, uh, coaching training, and then went on, loved it, and then went on to do a lot more coach training and to do a post-grad uni in coaching and leadership. And yeah, and started building, working part-time as a CFO uh, for a small funds manager, and then building a coaching practice alongside that. So, and now I focus exclusively on leadership coaching 
whether that's one-on-one or small groups, and also then facilitate keynote presentations and working in workshop, you know, facilitating workshops around leadership. Yeah. So when you were working full-time in your corporate job, did you used to focus much on your personal brand, your profile? No. (laughs) In a word, no. I also think, you know, I think years ago, I mean, personal brand feels like it's a more contemporary term. But even in terms of building my network, interestingly enough, and I've always considered myself a people person. I love talking to new people. But I struggled with going to finance or accounting type of events and feeling, well, how, do, how was I going to connect with people there? Not feeling really comfortable yeah. in that space. And then interestingly, because I, given that I was working at a recruitment company, we was very early adopters of LinkedIn. And so, you know, I had a few people, yeah, so I had a few people within the organization and I was, I think, financial controller at the time, say, you know, they were getting set up on this new platform and they invited me to go. So I went on. So I have been a member, like a pretty early adopter of LinkedIn, but I did nothing with it because I didn't really understand either what I could do with it or the importance of that. And I really came to, I would say, with hindsight, that I regretted that. I had to very, at a later point in my career, and I went, I, actually, I think maybe just before I headed into coaching, I was doing some consulting work. I was doing my CFO work, and I was doing some other consulting work. And I was working with some consultants, and I went, I really have to build my networks. And this was in particular, I was looking at LinkedIn at the time, and realizing that if I don't have those larger networks and stay connected to people, that was something I'd also been horribly bad at, was staying connected. And of course, it was before LinkedIn and email, it was harder to stay in touch with former colleagues and people. So I was terribly bad at that. So there was a point at which I made a really conscious effort to start building my network on LinkedIn. And then, of course, that has been a really important piece for me in terms of building a business and a presence online. And it is something I absolutely urge my clients who also work in corporate roles to do, because otherwise they go into a mad scramble when they actually decide they want a new role. And then it's like, how can I reach out? And then people feel icky because they're only reaching out to people when they want something, as opposed to seeing it as relationship building over time, creating a picture of who you are, who you are as a leader, how you operate in the world, what's important to you, how you interact with people. You know, I just spoke to somebody a few days ago who's looking for a new role and she's only just in the last month, I think, gone on to LinkedIn. And I was like, okay, that's going to be a challenge. A challenge, yeah. Better to start now rather or before, ideally, Um, you actually need it. And the thing is too, you know, it's so much more about more than just having a job too, like getting a job because there's opportunities that, that are coming. And it was funny, I had um, Susie McInerney, who's on one of the episodes we had recently, who's in a CEO of a recruitment company, Six Degrees Executive. And she was talking about how the recruiters are looking at those people, those sort of ones to watch. And so there's an opportunity out there, even if you have no interest in, um, in building your profile on LinkedIn, or to be out there doing stuff. There is a payoff in the end, you know, there is definitely reward. You talk a lot about executive presence, which I think is a you know really interesting topic, and I spend some time with my clients on this too. And I suppose I want to hear from you, but what, how do you sort of describe executive presence? 
because it's quite an interesting word really, isn't it? It can be a lot of different things, but I'd love to hear from you how you describe it. Yeah, I look, I think it can be used in ways that are really nebulous, they're intangible, and sometimes people get this feedback about needing to develop more executive presence or more presence and to be in the leadership suite. And and they don't really know what to do with that because we don't, you know, it's about getting specific about what does that mean. And I do think it can mean something a little bit different for each person in terms of what they need to work on. We'll come to that because I think there's different elements of it. So I was thinking about this and started to dive into, there's not a huge amount of literature out there about it, but to dive into the literature there is and really landed on this idea that it is an ability to inspire the confidence of others in your capabilities and your potential, even when you're under pressure. So there's a piece there about being able to speak up, being able to behave in ways that other people listen and being able to stay calm, to be able to step up in a crisis. So I think it's a combination of these, you know, personal traits and behaviours that create this image because I absolutely believe leadership, executive presence, they all come from within an individual, but they are also all about the perception of others. It is about image you create, but not in a a put a mask on kind of fake imagery. It's this piece about actually what do people experience when they interact with you? And to work on that, you have to start by looking inward, but it's absolutely critical that you also seek feedback and understand how you're interacting with other people. Mm. That's really interesting. I remember being at a leadership meeting years and years ago and each one of us had to describe how we behaved when we were really, really stressed. I thought that was really interesting because everyone sort of reflected in their different ways. When I started, I started my career in PR and one of my first PR launches, I was really young, like really, really young. I mean, really early 20s. We were at the Royal Children's Hospital for a launch for something and something had happened and as it happens, the media had turned onto a totally different topic for the day because I think it's something to do with the sheets at the children's hospital. Anyway, and my boss turned to me and said, whatever you do, do not look stressed. <laughs> and that was um, really interesting. You know, do not look like we're in a panic or we're stressed. <laughs> I thought it was good advice. I've taken it with me along the way. Always remain calm. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it comes back to that kind of emotional regulation piece, doesn't it? How do we manage ourselves? Yes, yes. So like I know for me, the more stressed that I am, probably the quieter I am. What are sort of the different ways people behave? Yeah, I think there's a number of ways. And sometimes some people get very flustered and very distractible and unable to, and I mean, this you know, unable to focus on any one thing. Some people, as you say, withdraw into themselves and others go out, I suppose it's, just, it's that fight, flight, freeze response, isn't it? and others go out fighting. Yes, of course. <laughs> no, and I, um, actually, because I always like sharing this story, I was working with a client and he acknowledged once we built up some trust and understanding yep. that he was always up for the fight. Right. And, of course, in an extreme situation, which is, you know, great. He wasn't avoiding conflict. He was always going to be open for rigorous debate But, of course, how it could sometimes turn up was really confrontational and aggressive. Yeah. So I see people sometimes at kind of different ends of a spectrum in a sense when it comes to executive presence that you want to be cool, you want to be confident, but you don't want to be 
arrogant. You want to also cultivate humility and the ability to listen to other people. Yes. So I see clients at both ends of that, you know, someone who's always coming out for the fight and then another client who brilliant at what she does, but really lacking the confidence to actually speak up and articulate and ask for what she wants in her career next. Mm. And that's an interesting point because there is obviously how you deal with stress and that can impact your how people see you, but also just in your day-to-day interactions around, say, the board table, leadership team table, I often have discussions with people who, and I remember this when I was in the corporate world, that there might be somebody out there trying to cut your grass, for example. You know, you're in charge of this area and there's somebody over there that you just feel like is always cutting your grass and it's like, hang on a minute, get back in your side of the domain where where you are. And one of the ways that I sort of tell talk to my clients about this is really about kind of knowing, being that, owning your space and being that expert in that space and really making sure everybody understands the value you bring in that space. But is there some other tips that you would give in terms of if you've got that situation where people are you know, just encroaching on your area? I think it's absolutely about understanding. I mean, I actually, so I work with a model of executive presence that I developed and a kind of see three elements and the first one is as I said it, it, this is an understanding this is the going within the self-reflection piece and key to that is your self-belief and your self-confidence and as you described owning your space it's about really understanding really well who you are how you want to show up and also what the value is that you bring and it doesn't mean that you're not going to welcome a contribution from somebody over here. But it does mean that you really understand the worth and the value that you bring. With some clients, it can be quite context or situational, I think, as well. You know, I've worked with clients who are very confident and fantastic with leading their own team. Yep. And then they move into perhaps a leadership team meeting or, more importantly, a board meeting, and they feel intimidated or they naturally defer to people with particular titles or one woman that was working with a board of older gray-haired white men yeah for her was triggering something here and you know I have to defer to their expertise and what was interesting was that she had an absolutely different lived experience and she had really really different expertise. She had all the finance and operational expertise. This is a legal partnership. So they were legal experts. So yes, they're experts in their field, but it's for her, it was how could she really learn to embrace and embody everything that she was bringing? Yeah, I can see how that would happen, especially with that hierarchy thing and, you know, an older man and You've got the father thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's a, you know, there's, there's kind of you sometimes have to unpack some of that. Yeah. What are your own internal assumptions about how hierarchy works and, and challenge those things? You know, other people have no issue with challenging everybody around them. It's sometimes about acknowledging and then, you know, thinking about the other client who always came out fighting for him. So I always say that, you know, the first piece is the looking within and understanding your own value. The second piece is around humility and understanding the value and the contribution that other people make. It isn't that he's an arrogant man. It's more that he very tightly holds on to his expertise. So there's a balance there between owning your space, but not holding on so tightly to having the correct or the right answers. 
and actually allowing yourself to be more vulnerable, which enables you to bring more humility to the conversations that you have with other people. So that I'd see as a yeah. kind of the second part. Yeah, and I think sometimes you're in an, it really does depend a lot. And like you said, it's an individual thing, hence executive coaching. And I'm sure when you spend your time with your clients, you know, each one is different. But I think also too, like depending on the culture of the team as well, how you come across is completely different. So that's something sort of really challenging as well. Your environment, the system in which you work is always going to influence your ability to express and articulate that. And you're right. So, you know, as coaches, we work with people to encourage them to challenge that scenario. In that instance that I gave, they were actually quite open to being challenged. Actually, once she, this CFO, COO kind of role, she once she really stepped into that, I think they found it a little surprising maybe initially, but over time they've started to, really see what she could bring. And what was interesting, because she also had very good relationships with other senior leaders, that then also feeds into the perception of the board. Definitely. And that's definitely something I I'm really encourage my clients is that strategic networking because, and who you need in your sort of boat today might be very different to who you had five years ago. Yeah, that's really interesting point. So sitting there listening to this podcast right now, And you're thinking, I'm not really sure if I need to be working on my executive presence. What sort of signs would you be getting that might be telling you, okay, I'm not, uh, this is something I might need to work on? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And actually something I've been giving some thought to recently, and I'm thinking, oh, I kind of maybe need to develop something to really measure or assess this more. And I haven't landed on that yet. But I think there are a couple of ways. There are a couple of indicators. So one obviously is very explicit. Sometimes people actually are given this feedback. I had another client who who was first stepped into that C-suite role and was actually told, you need CFO presence when you come to a board meeting. And he's like, what the heck does that mean? So he was actually given that, that, you know, you're not actually turning up and presenting in a way that builds that confidence, you know, back to that definition in terms of our credibility. And I think there's a piece there about taking the role seriously, but not taking yourself seriously. So, you know, but actually really being fully present, fully engaged with the people there, that was important for him. But in terms of other things, I think that people actually can see or might be experiencing that might tell them that this is something they could work on, is one that they feel invisible that they feel that nobody is looking to them, that perhaps you even actually know that you are holding yourself back. I often say the first thing is be honest with yourself. Are you holding yourself back by silencing yourself, by not sharing opinions, by not really making your full contribution? I think people often know that if they're really honest with themselves, they know if they're not delivering on their full potential and actually articulating and expressing opinions. So I think that's one. I think everyone's probably had that feeling at some point in their career where, you know, you're sitting there and not sure if what you're going to say is of value. Do you think that, I know that I had that particularly in the beginning of my career, you know, I was really young sitting on leadership teams and I knew what I wanted to say, but sometimes I'd be like, oh gosh, you know, am I going to say the wrong thing or whatever it might be. Do you feel that some of that is competence or is it all of it confidence? Oh, I think that's a great question, Sarah. I think there's a bit of both. 
So I do, especially when we're earlier in our careers. I think the the competence piece is more likely to be showing up earlier in our careers where we actually think, I don't have all the information. I also, though, I encourage people with my clients, and I suppose most of them are a bit more senior in leadership, and they can still, though, suffer from this feeling that they don't have the confidence, you know, it's a bit like imposter syndrome and uh, which comes to the lack of confidence saying, oh, well, I'm relatively new in this industry, so I don't have as much depth of knowledge as this person over the other side of the table. And where I challenge people is sometimes your contribution isn't just about an opinion. Sometimes your really valuable contribution is asking new questions, actually seeing the fact that you are newer to an organisation or an industry as a fantastic opportunity to bring a new perspective. And I completely understand that sometimes that triggers all of the, oh, my God, I'm going to ask a really stupid question, and that triggers the confidence. (laughs) But, But I think sometimes you have that opportunity to say, tell me more. Help me understand what's happening here. Help me understand from your point of view for the other person why that is the way that you would normally do such and such. I sometimes say if if you're not quite ready to jump in with your opinion, I think a great place to start by making a contribution is asking questions. And, of course, that exposes us to some vulnerability, which is challenging in itself. But I think taking that moment and framing it as the fact you want to learn, you want to understand more, and asking those questions gives you an opportunity to build the relationship with somebody, which is so key to this as well and to learn more about what's important to them and understand their perspective. So what was, you were on to the next one. And I'm... <laughs> yes, feeling ignored. Some people, on the other hand, are saying, I do speak up. You know, they say, Sue, I, I speak up. I put lots of information out there. I call people out or I'm um, delivering all of these reports or I'm sending everything out. But I don't feel like my contribution is being heard. It's not being taken on board, perhaps. I'm not able to influence in the way I'd like, even though I'm speaking up. And one of the things I always think here is this comes to then that what I talked about being the second element of about our ability to listen, to be compassionate with the other person, to be able to see and hold multiple perspectives rather than sometimes we, in whatever our functional expertise is, we think I'm the expert this is the communication or this is the report that you need. We need to step back from that a little bit, you know, hold that more lightly so that we can actually ask questions and understand, well, what is it this person thinks they need and actually start to address their needs. For example, I'm a CFO. And so there are definitely regulatory or compliance or governance issues that I need this person over here to take seriously. But if I understand what the person over here is driven by or what's most important to them, I can connect the two that I hold yes. the different perspectives and I start to then hone my own ability to communicate in such a way that they can hear me and influence. Because I think often what happens is when we feel we're being ignored, we're saying it, but we're saying it in a way that's clearly not resonating with the other person. And the only way we get around that is to listen more, to really try and understand where they're coming from. One of the things that I often get my clients to do is to think about, you know, how do those people describe the problem that you solve? Yeah. And, you know, that is a really good way to sort of get in their head, you know, and think, well, 
if their biggest problem is X, how do you solve that and how do they explain that? <laughs> yeah. So really, yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. <laughs> it just makes such a big impact as well yeah. once you sort of nail that. We, we can be yeah. both trying to solve the same problem, can't we? And we're coming at it from such yeah. different angles that our language doesn't seem to connect. We just don't really get. And then, of course, sometimes people get frustrated by that. <laughs> And that's when the conflict really kind of amps up because I'm getting frustrated. I'm giving you this information, this data, and you don't get it. And I don't get what you're on about. I don't think you're taking it seriously. And then that's when we end up in more of a conflict situation. So I think there's a really important piece there about how we listen to each other and how we then communicate. As you said, I like that question that you just posed about how does the other person describe the problem I solve? And then the third one I was going to say in terms of ways that you might be aware that you're not perhaps executive presence is what you need. And it's related to the other two, that you feel isolated. It's that piece about having this sense that there are conversations happening around the organisation that you're not included in or, which is really feels awful, if you're at a leadership or some such meeting, and a project or something is brought to the meeting and you know nothing, you know, you don't know about it or you don't understand why John over here didn't seek out your expertise as part of that business case or whatever. And then that's the piece of like when you start to realise, well, Mike, I actually have a valuable contribution here. And, and it partly goes back to the piece of being ignored and not heard, but I think there's a piece of sometimes isolation is created by or can be created by us being so task-focused and or deadline-focused. You know, I work with so many people, I'm sure you do, Sarah, as well, high achievers who really are absolutely excellent at getting shit done. And sometimes what happens is they're so focused on the getting stuff done that they forget to lift their heads and look around and see who else could or should be involved. And also what are their challenges? What are Mary's challenges that I could be helping her with and together we could be actually solving a lot more of the issues that the business is facing? So, you know, I think that then comes to I see what, what I see as the third element. You know, there's the confidence, the humility, and then the connection. How are we building relationships where we understand what each of us can bring and, you know, and creating that synergy of where the whole is more than the parts? Yeah. I remember um, her being on a, a, in a meeting once and there was one of ours, the CFO of the team, great guy, been in there for probably about maybe a year and he was always, always working, like, you know, he's stressed out, like his head down, hand in his head, you know, just work, 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 work. And there was a leadership consultant or coach, whoever it was, at, at the table and we're all sort of talking and somehow it came up and someone said, look, no one's ever going to promote you if they think you can't do the job you're doing now. Yeah. And I think that was a real sort of really powerful for him because he was like, what they're seeing is not, oh, wow, he works so hard. They're saying, why isn't he able to manage this? And to me, that was an executive presence thing. Yeah, I I agree. And and there's a piece there about how you... In the right way. Yeah, how you define success for yourself and managing your own energy and, as you say, yeah, and managing your own energy so that you can build relationships with people because you're also not going to get 
yeah, promoted it. And I think that's a great point that if it takes you 24-7 to do the current job, how are you possibly going to step up into the next thing? If you're struggling to let go of all the hands-on, the doing, how are you going to step up and manage more people? Because if your inclination is to just put your head down and do, do, do. And that, I have to say, I, that this is something I have to challenge a lot of clients on. <laughs> so it seems to be yeah, a common one. And, yeah. and I also think it's partly because we get rewarded and respected earlier in our careers, especially. We get rewarded and respected yes, for yes. our ability to have technical expertise and knowledge and do lots of stuff. And so there's a real shift. Execute. Yeah, execution. And there's yeah. a real shift yeah. when we move up into leadership roles. Yeah, I do see that a lot too. And and that's where that sort of focus, unfortunately, people forget to focus on their profile, you know, especially yeah. like and how they're seen and in their industry, are they building a brand out there because they are so good at what they do, but, you know, things can change quickly or you can change, you know, you can say, well, you know, I've had enough of this, I actually want to go and do that. So you've got to build that runway of relationships. Yeah, and especially, especially if you've been working those kind of hours we were talking about. And, you know, you hit a point where it's no longer it's no longer sustainable. So then you're like, well, what now? And I haven't built the profile or I haven't built the networks and things. So, yeah, I would agree. I think it's critical. So, Sue, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I've got lots of lots of value. Is there any sort of final tips you would give the listeners today? This might seem like a slightly strange one, Sarah, but my... Okay. Favorite tip, my you know number one tip for anybody who wants to start working on their executive presence is to breathe. It's all about taking a pause because you know we get on this hamster wheel of all this activity, as we said, all this busy activity. So I say to people, one is you know you need what I call a strategic pause where you stop, you take time for reflection about what's important to you. What's important to you, who you want to be as a leader, how you want to show up, because that's where the work on executive presence starts. So there's creating that strategic pause and also just taking a breath because it physically gives us that opportunity rather than these kind of little high stress breaths from the top of our chest, you know, breathing down into your belly and slowing your breath down, kind of, yeah, kind of considering your posture. Uh, and it changes how we operate in the moment because we, um, you know, when we're in that triggered stress response, our brain narrows its focus. We lose our ability to see the big picture and we lose sight as well of what's important to us. So that's what I, I, you know, why I encourage people, create a strategic pause regularly. Not This is not a one-off, you know, regularly when you stop and reflect, when you can stop and reflect on who you want to be as a leader. And then multiple times every day, just stop and take a conscious breath. (laughs) And, you know, we're all breathing all the time, but take a conscious breath deep into your belly so that you settle your nervous system and get back in touch with, you know, what's really important to you. I love that. So for anyone who wants to reach out to you and learn a bit more about what you do, where can they find you? I'm very active on LinkedIn, so Sue Rosen on LinkedIn, you'll find me. And also my website is suerosen.com.au. Those are the places, yeah, most likely to find me. So thank you so much, Sue. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. 
Thank you for listening. Hopefully you've learned something from this episode that's going to help you make actionable changes in the way you approach your career. If you liked today's episode, make sure to rate, review and share this with a friend. And as always, see you next time.